Listening to the coffee hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are closer to Christmas. We're still in Advent, mm-hmm. but we are going to share some Christmas stories today. We are because during Christmas we're we're not here. We're not here. We're <laughs> celebrating the twelve days of Christmas. So yes. we have some Christmas stories to share with you, um, particularly when it comes to our servicemen and women who are serving, who are deployed. We have some stories to share with you today. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Joining us today, friends from LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. We are so excited to have some time and grateful to have some time. These are busy folks, Mm -hmm. a small but robust team who gets a a lot done supporting our chaplains who support so many servicemen and servicewomen. Joining us today, Chaplain Stephen Hokana. He's Assistant Director for LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Chaplain Hokana, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thank you. It is great to be here. And Lee Hinton, she's the Administrative Coordinator for LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Lee, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thank you. It's been a little while since we've had a chance to chat with each of you about the things that you get to do in LCMS uh, Ministry to the Armed Forces. I want to know the backstory, though. <laughs> I want to know how you, what led you to consider serving in Armed Forces, and then we'll talk more about Ministry to Armed Forces as well. But I want to know your stories about serving in the Armed Forces. Lee, let's start with you. When did you first start thinking about serving in the Armed Forces? Well, it was during high school. Um, when I went to high school, my best friend happened to get into the junior ROTC program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you want to be in the classes that your friends are in. <laughs> so I ended up joining up with her. This was the Navy junior ROTC. And I spent four years in that program. And I actually became the commanding officer of that program in my senior year. But I did go out on a couple ships, got seasick even on an aircraft carrier. I was really sick. So I decided the Navy was not for me. (laughs) And I ended up joining the Air Force. Okay. After high school. Yes. Very cool. Now, for people who, like, I had ROTC at my high school, but I don't actually know what they did. What does ROTC do? It's a program where they teach you military history. They teach you about the specific branch. Like I said, it was the Navy one. So we were able to go out and see a ship being built. And then we took part in a commissioning service. We marched, this was in New York. So we marched in tons of parades in Manhattan. And we had sister schools in Florida that we would visit and they would visit us. And it was just a great learning experience. The rank structure, the rules, how to wear the uniform. Yeah, I have kids right now in high school, but they are totally not interested. <laughs> and <laughs> I kind of wish they were because it's a great program, yeah. um, especially at that high school, because it really gave me structure and just uh, goals. And, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that sounds really cool to be able to participate in all of that stuff as a teenager. Yeah, and it really, like I said, I ended up becoming the commanding officer. So these were leadership skills I didn't even know I had at that age. And it really kind of opened my eyes to that. Yeah, wow, that's so cool. Steve, what about you? You're you're becoming knowing about military and and wanting to join up. My journey is fraught with humor. So, (laughs) and and that's interesting because I never thought I was a pretty humorous guy. So, when I was a young child living in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, I was asked to participate in a children's play. And we all think of Mary and Joseph and the camels and all, and all that kind of stuff, angels. Uh, I got to play the role of a pastor. 
I got to perform the marriage of Mary and Joseph. <laughs> now, I'm not sure how they were married or where, but I got to wear my dad's long white dress shirt with a tie that looked like a stole. And that was my introduction to, wow, so this is what it's like to be a pastor. That's uh, this so is funny. pretty cool. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, we were living in Fairfax, Virginia, and I was playing football with a young friend of mine, Rough and Tumbly, and we went to his house to get some hot chocolate, and on the door was a symbol of the fish, the fish symbol. And I knew what it was because I was in confirmation, but I said, so, you know, what's up with this? He says, well, my dad's a chaplain. I said, what's a chaplain? And he goes, well, that's where you get to serve God and your country. I says, are you kidding me? I can do both? That's amazing. And, and so those two little vignette stories were planted deeply in my heart, and I carried on all the way through high school, all the way through college, and then on to the seminary. So, yeah. 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 So what did that formation path look like for you? How did you end up serving? And, and where did you serve? What branch did you serve? I served in the United States Army. Okay. I was in for a total of 31 years. Oh, wow. Yep. yep. 26 years, nine months, I was active duty Army chaplain. Way too many assignments, you know, maybe too many to list here. 18 assignments, 18 moves wow. and multiple assignments. Yeah, but started out at Fort Bragg, which is now called Fort Liberty. And I retired at Fort Hood, out of Fort Hood, Texas. Yeah, yeah. A couple of wars, a couple of deployments. Yeah, it was a great journey. I tell people it was like a long weekend. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. A long it weekend. Had, it had drama very, and trauma. Very long weekend. But it was like a long weekend. <laughs> Lee, would you agree? It was like serving was a lot, like a long weekend. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> in some in some respects, it did go quick, but yeah. there were times when it seemed pretty long mm-hmm. too. <laughs> so let's talk a, a little bit about joining the Air Force. You had the the uh, JROTC experience in high school, the Navy JROTC um, program, and then you joined the Air Force. What? What was that whole process like? What was what were some things that you didn't expect? Or you know, was it what you expected and what mm. things did you did you experience that you didn't expect in joining the Air Force? Yeah, I jumped in with both feet and and I didn't know anything about the Air Force, but I was probably that recruiter's easiest recruit. I went in, <laughs> I said I want to join up, went to MEPS, they were like, What job do you want? I said, I don't care, I want to leave as soon as possible and I was gone a week later, so <laughs> It was no time to to think. But compared to what I did in the the Navy RTC program, the Air Force was the basic training. I I don't mean to talk bad. I'm sure it's a lot more difficult these days. But we ended up getting in really late the night before, and they let us sleep until lunchtime. And I was I was like ready for them to come banging on the door and you know, you see in the movies and stuff and now yeah, they just knock, come on, lights up, come on, time to get up, you know. So I was like, This is like a summer camp. <laughs> I was like, Wow, this is easy, you know. Um, like I said, it's probably more difficult now. But this was before, you know, nine eleven before wartime. But yeah, so I kinda did the not so smart thing and, and came in what's called open general which I didn't have a job, you get a job after basic training. So I could have been given any job, but luckily I was given the job of a weather forecaster. And that's what I did for 20 years. I was a weather forecaster in the Air Force. Wow. Yeah. That's and so I, cool. I think I've seen every weather phenomenon that you can see. The last thing was nuclear fallout, and I actually was forecasting that during uh, Fukushima in Japan. Whoa. So mm. I was like, well, 
That's it. That's, that's <laughs> I've all seen of it all. That's all of it. <laughs> Volcanoes, earthquakes, typhoons, tsunamis. I mean, everything I forecasted for. Wow. It's crazy. So how long did it take to the, the training and, and studying for that? Well, first I had a four-month school to become a weather observer. Mm-hmm. And this is where you just observe the current conditions. You're not forecasting. You're just, you know, observing and reporting what the current clouds are, visibility, the heights of the clouds. You learn that. And then after you do that for about two years, you go back to school. And that was about a six-month school, learn how to forecast the weather. Mm-hmm. Was it while you were in school for that, was it clear then how your role made a difference for thousands, millions of other people? <laughs> was it clear like how important your role was in the whole operation? It was because we would brief the pilots, too, Mm -hmm. before they took off for any mission. We would Mm -hmm. brief them on the weather. My first couple assignments, we had what's called heavies, you know, your your C-5s, your C-130s. They're transporting people or transporting materials. They're going to go. I mean, the the weather is not going to really stop them. They're going to go. They're like any other passenger airline. They're going to go. Later on my career, I worked for the uh, Air Force Special Ops Command, where I supported gunships and Ospreys, and those were, and and the Army special helicopters, and those forecasted forecasts needed to be really precise mm-hmm. because they were going on missions. A lot of these were in Afghanistan, so they were actual real world missions and. Cloud cover, winds, precipitation, dust storms, all of that could have canceled these missions. I can see how that, yeah, how that would be really important. I want to talk more about deployment in just a moment, but I want to hear uh, Chaplain Hokana's story about training and and that just your first few years surfing. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for asking. It It's interesting because there's an expectation as a chaplain that when you go in, you are a full-up Lutheran Church, Missouri, Senior pastor. So there's no instruction on homiletics, no instruction on you know, any of that. What what The first couple of years, you're really taught the military culture. And in my case, it was Army. So they're big on marching. They're big on training. They're big on going out in the field. They're big on mud. You know, they're, they're big on all all of that. And so... What you learn quickly in the first couple of years is to be an effective chaplain, an effective pastor, is you have to be with the soldiers wherever they are. So you can't be in your comfortable chapel. You can't be in what they call garrison. You have to be out. You have to be out with them, uh, with these just stellar men and women. You have to be with them, and you encourage them with the news of Jesus, and that's what you do. So that's what you learn the first couple of years. In my experience, and I know it's not universal, the Army won't send you anywhere unless you're trained. So... I couldn't jump out of helicopters unless I went to 10 days of training. I couldn't jump out of airplanes unless I went to three weeks of training. I couldn't go out and do any kind of survival stuff and I, unless I went to those types of schools. And I, I didn't do the special ops stuff. I supported the special ops. But you're, you're trained everywhere you go. And, and you do that for the purpose of bringing the good news of Jesus to the men and women out where they are. And that's really the, the most important component and dynamic is that we are with the men and women wherever they go. Yeah. Was that an option, like as a chaplain, to train to like jump out of aircraft? It's it is an option. You're not required. Not not every chaplain is airborne qualified. So I tell people that I had 30 airborne operations, and they were all at night because I had my eyes closed. <laughs> 
We're talking with our friends in LCMS, Ministry to the Armed Forces. We're going to learn about life being deployed and what that means, uh, especially at the holidays, what that looks like. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are chatting with our friends from LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces and learning about their life serving in the U.S. US Armed Forces. And I I really just enjoy these personal stories, and I'm so grateful that you're willing to spend time and share your personal stories here with us on the air. Talking about you know the training and signing up and, and training and all those things really make me give me a, a good picture I think of what it's like but obviously not nearly as good of a picture as actually being there <laughs> but if you can continue to paint the picture for us what was it like finding out that you were being deployed Lee tell us about how how many times were you deployed I was deployed five times wow mm-hmm. did it did each time did it what was it like the first time, I guess? We'll start with that. First time you were deployed. Well, the first time was exciting because I was 19 years old, no family. I was in the Air Force for about a year and a half. And this is what I joined up for, you know. And uh, they had a deployment come up, and I said, send me. I want to go. <laughs> and it was to Camp Bonstil, Kosovo. Oh, wow. And it was a three-month deployment, which at that time felt like forever. I didn't know that in the future our deployments would have been double yeah. or triple that. But yeah, I went to Camp Bonsteel in Kosovo. 19 years old, first time out of the United States. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was a great experience. Opened my eyes. I met a lot of great people. It's actually where I got my foundation for my Christian life. I, I did not grow up in a Christian home, so it was that deployment where I connected with a chaplain and started my journey. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's funny because the chaplain that came after, I I always say that one chaplain really changed my life, but then he eventually left and another chaplain would come and visit us. And it wasn't until about two months ago that I found out that the other chaplain was an LCMS chaplain. (laughs) He sent me a photo in my email was like, hey, is this you? And I looked at it, sure enough, it was me. And there's him in the background. I was like, we met before. And, <laughs> That's and so wild. It was, it was just great to, to make that connection and see how God works. It's, wow. It was amazing. Wow. We're going to come back to, to the stories of chaplains. That is amazing. But continuing with the deployments, what was what were your subsequent deployments? Did the, Does it get easier or does it get... I, are they all different? In my opinion, I think... Once family entered into the role, Mm -hmm. it became a lot more difficult. Um, My other deployments, I deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, Turkey, and Mm -hmm. uh, Qatar. 
my hardest one was probably Iraq because that was during the holiday season. And I left when my youngest was six months old. So my husband, we were stationed in Alaska at that time. So he found himself, I always say he had the the harder part of it because he found himself by himself in Alaska with a two-year-old and a six-month-old all by himself taking care of them. Mm. And I was in in Iraq and and I kind of missed all the the first moments with, with my son. So that was probably the most difficult to spend that Christmas away from them. Yeah, that would be really hard to have to do a vocation that you have and while someone else is is managing the rest of of that time at home for you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Steve, what about you? Your deployments. What was what was your first deployment like? Well, let's see. I had four of them. I was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm Liberation of Kuwait, which is many, many years ago, and then I I did Cuba for a short 3-month tour. It was a joint tour with Army, Navy, and Air Force personnel, and then I did Bosnia for a short time, and then my last tour was Kuwait. So the first one, it was really interesting because I was out in the back area of, of Fort Hood doing a worship service with a bunch of folks from Wisconsin. It was all Lutheran. I had a chapel filled to the rafters, and they were all Lutheran. They were all Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> While I, the reason why I was out there is they were doing an exercise that had to do with a foreign national company would country would take over another foreign country and steal their oil. At that time, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And so there's a time where things were getting crossed with training versus reality. And so there's a period where we weren't sure which was training and which was really happening. And then all of a sudden we realized they they called an index to the exercise. And then they said, this is a full up deployment. Yeah, they, uh, there's a term they use back then when they want to deploy 40,000 people. It's never, it's one word it's never used. It's called, it's called Maroon Dragon. Mm. Yeah. And when they call Maroon Dragon, that means you better go home and pack because you're going. Yeah. Hey, ho, wow. lottie, dottie, everybody. 40,000 soldiers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it took them a while to get to uh, Saudi Arabia, but we got there. Yeah. So you just caught up in this tidal wave of kinetic energy and excitement and activity and news reports that are kind of half true because all the information's not there. And you're trying to take care of your family. Uh, I baptized my daughter when she was born. She was eight days old. And next time I saw her again, she had eight teeth. Wow. So I was gone a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I was really focused on the mission. I was uh, a hospital chaplain. And so we got involved in all kinds of stuff. A Christmas story. We needed to find a fat guy to be Santa. <laughs> and when you're in the desert and when you're in the 18th Airborne Corps, not a lot of fat guys. Not a lot of there just isn't even I, you know. So we found a surgeon who did not make weight in the army. He was too heavy, but they had to deploy him. So he was our Santa. And had Shiva go around to visit the wounded, he did something really humorous to me. He would he would walk over to the person in the bed. He would shake them awake. And then while he's checking his pulse, he's saying, ho, ho, ho. So he could not leave his medical identity to be a Santa. He was checking the pulse. When he shook them, he was checking to make sure everything was fine with them. He's literally triaging every patient as he was going ho, ho, ho with the Santa suit. So I'm standing there with him and I said, Bill, I think I can maybe step in and do some things here and make it a little more lighthearted, but he appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was our first Christmas in the war zone. Yeah. Wow. What's it like to, as a chaplain, 
to observe Christmas in a war zone like that? Are you able to have services, or, or what is it? What was it like in those deployments? Well, every, everybody's experience is different. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. Sure. I had a highly supportive command. They knew the importance of having Christmas services, and so on their own volition, the engineers and the mechanics literally built a chapel out of plywood for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they built it. They built a, a pulpit. They built an altar. And so when we would do worship services, including Christmas, they'd move all these vehicles out of this big, massive tent that held the deuce and a half trucks and the five tons, and we would have worship. So so there's a a spirit at that time of incredible cooperativeness to do worship services. We also pulled together a choir of medical personnel, and so they would walk through the tents of the wounded, and they would sing Christmas songs and Christmas carols to them. Had multiple services in that little tent area, and then also services inside the hospital, it was just it was, a, it was an amazing period because at the same time we knew we had to go on the offensive and we didn't know when and so worship became very important to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. that's what it was like. Yeah, I remember the late nights, you know, the Christmas eves. That, gosh, I don't know how late those things went. Multiple services, one o'clock in the morning. I don't oh, know. Wow. You know, and then the next morning, you know, hey, let's have Christmas Day services. <laughs> you know, so yeah, good to be a young chaplain. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. that time, yeah. Lee, what about you? What was Christmas like for you while you were deployed? Well, I think it's a – and let me know if I get this wrong, Steve, but there is a difference between the Army and the Air Force and how they deploy. The Army typically goes out as a whole unit mm-hmm. together. The Air Force, they kind of cherry-pick people from different units all over. Ah. And so at your location, you may be the only one from your base, from your unit. So it's kind of meeting all these new people and and developing those new relationships. Mm -hmm. But, man, those relationships are are Mm -hmm. tight bond after after deployment. So the mission doesn't stop when you're deployed. Mm -hmm. As an enlisted personnel, I work 12 hours a day every day Mm -hmm. for six months. I did get my birthday off, but I ended up going to work because there was nothing else to do. So for Christmas Eve and Christmas, I didn't really get to go to a a service because I was still working my 12-hour shift. But I was very grateful that the chaplain would come around to the different work areas and greet us and and do a prayer with us and just kind of liven that mood. Because for us, it was unfortunately just another day. And there was... How somebody could handle it was was different from person to person. Mm-hmm. So it was a very somber, quiet day because you didn't want to be too happy because other people are, you know, missing their family and missing their home and their traditions. But that, that chaplain, as soon as he walked into the work center, it was like spirits just rose and, you know, that somberness went away. Mm-hmm. What was the weather for Christmas. <laughs> That's a fair question, right? I think so. It was a desert, so it was sunny. <laughs> it was sunny in the desert. Sunny. I think we've demonstrated the, the value uh, and the importance of having chaplains um, in, in serving uh, our troops. Mm-hmm. Chaplain Hokana, what's the path like to becoming a chaplain? Uh, there's certainly a need for chaplains today, right? Sure. Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, just a burning passion to serve and to love people. 
to be a committed Christian, a child of God in Christ, is really important. You'll get all the, the training you'll get at the seminary. The Department of Defense does require a uh, Master's of Divinity degree. So you, you need a higher education, get the bachelor's, get the master's. Parish experience at the Department of Defense, they, they love the LCMS. They do. They, they think uh, we're just the apple of their eye. And for a couple of reasons that are strange to us because we don't think about it. Like we have what's called a brick-and-mortar system. You know, a lot of online schools, and they're not getting that type of education you need in forming community. So mm. the DOD likes the fact that we have Concordia Seminary, Concordia Theological Seminary, and St. Catharines, and Edmonton, and so on. They, they like that. The other thing, too, is that we will get parish experience. So we're going to understand what it's like to see someone who's passed away. We're going to know what it's like to be in a room filled with people who are in grief, and they'll exhibit different types of emotions and sadness. We're also going to understand what I would call the brief therapy model. They understand that, that once you do something for someone, you don't just walk away. You, you circle back around. You spend time with them. You talk with them. You, you engage with that person, especially if they've gone through a traumatic experience, a traumatic event, or they're facing loss. So that's why they like us, and that's what our system offers. I think just a real passion is really the key because the education will follow, but, but a passion and just an just earnest wild desire to serve really important. So thank you for asking that. Yeah. Certainly. So if, if, if a pastor who's currently serving is interested in mm-hmm. becoming a chaplain, what would, what would that process look like for them? If we have a pastor who's currently serving, have them give us a call. Yeah. Call, call us at Ministry of the Armed Forces. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. love to engage with you and talk with you. Maybe meet one-on-one with you. Absolutely. It's that important. The military is not for everyone, um, but it is for someone who mm-hmm. really loves this kind of stuff, you know. It's, it's definitely a wonderful type of ministry. So, yeah, have them reach out to us. Maybe if they're at a circuit conference or if a district event, you'll probably see a table that we'll have set up there. Come on by, chit-chat with us, love to engage with you. I'd like to talk to your family, too. You know, let's see if they're interested in this military thing. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What's the best number to call to reach Ministry of the Armed Forces? Yes, it's area code 314-996-1337. Very good. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your stories with us, for spending some time. I know you guys are always busy, and we really appreciate you making time to share these great stories with us. Our guest today, Chaplain Stephen Hokana, Assistant Director for LCMS Ministry of the Armed Forces. Chaplain Hokana, thank you. Thank you. Great being here. And Lee Hinton, Administrative Coordinator for LCMS Ministry of the Armed Forces. Lee, thanks for sharing your stories today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Goldseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.